I don't want to go to a bar. I did that yesterday. This is the Mad Men pregame show from WNYC. I'm Ellen Horn. Each week, we gear up for the weekend's episode by investigating the characters and plot twists that have strung us along for seven years. When I was first asked to host the Mad Men pregame show, I knew only one thing. Amy Pearl should be on it. Amy makes videos about New York for New York Public Radio, which are strange, funny, touching short films. And she's the creator and director of my favorite Mad Men-inspired video, Meow Men. We'll talk about Cats, Don Draper, and the perfect ending. But first... Have you said it yet? Let's recap this week's episode. Have you introduced yourself? I'm Don Draper from McCann Erickson. The deal is done. The whole gang's moved into McCann. But Roger and Peggy can't let go. This is the one for the road, okay? You're gonna show up drunk at four o'clock on your first day? So Roger plays the organ and Peggy skates around the empty offices. But Joan's having a tougher time. She decides to confront the blatant misogyny she encounters on day one at McCann, and it only lands her in an ickier situation. Hey, I'm easy. I'm not expecting anything more than a good time. Excuse me? I mean, I want to get to know you, of course. Of course. So she decides to fight. You want to threaten us? You'll be all alone. No. I think the second I file a complaint, I'll have the ACLU in my office. And Betty Friedan in the lobby with half the women who marched down Fifth Avenue. She's not going to settle for 50 cents on the dollar for her share of the company. Don't hide behind politics. Take the money and be done with them. Oh, wait. She does. Tell him he has a deal. Meanwhile, Don has gone AWOL again. He's driving cross-country to Wisconsin. What's your machine? Maybe some waitress who doesn't care about you? The ghost of Burt Cooper appears in the passenger seat of Don's Cadillac. Whither goest thou, America, in thy shiny car in the night? But the dream ends in Racine, where Don comes face to face with Diana's ex-husband. You think you're the first one that came looking for her? She's a tornado, just leaving a trail of broken bodies behind her. Sounds a little like someone else I know. In the end, he picks up a hitchhiker and heads towards St. Paul which, by the way, is not on Don's way home. I don't want to take you out of your way, man. It's not a problem. This is ground control to Major Tom. You really made the grade. Just tell me about your cigarette. Tell me. The guy's like, well, nothing. It's toasted. He's like, that's it. It's toasted. Well, they're all toasted. No, that's not it. Lucky strikes. It's toasted. I was like, ah! Like a lot of us here at WNYC, Video producer Amy Pearl has watched Mad Men faithfully for the past seven years, but she's conflicted about being a fan. She loves how the show makes her feel, but she isn't so sure those feelings are earned. Despite this, or maybe because of it, she created and directed a spinoff of the show starring Cats. In Amy's video, we hear Don pitching Kodak on the carousel. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. 
but instead of slides of Dawn's family on the screen. This is from a cat's perspective. So we see a cat in the present day and then slides of kittens in black and white. It's as if they're remembering what it was like to lap milk from a tiny bowl or be cuddled by a mama cat. Okay, it's a little hard to explain a cat video on the radio, but trust me when I say it's at once silly and odd, but, but also wistful and beautiful. I think everybody knows that cats are very important to the internet, and since I work on the digital <laughs> team, we have a lot of cat projects. One is Bodega Cats. Wait, so you guys have like a cat strategy? Yes, everything. First, you know, if you, if you work on a tabloid, and somebody sends you to story, the first thing you want to ask is like, did it bleed? Is it a blonde? There's certain things you want so that you can have a good headline. And in digital, you ask like, can a cat be applied? Gotcha. So my boss, she wanted to try and do a mashup with Mad Men since she's really into Mad Men, as am I. So we decided to make the Bodega Cat who's kind of the all-knowing prince of the linoleum stand-in or all fours in for Don. Yeah. This great bodega cat in Park Slope named Sheba. It's actually a girl, but we're pretending it's a boy. And then interspersed with black and white pictures of old cats that are kind of beaten up. And there's a one very touching scene of showing a cat in a box nursing a bunch of kittens. And it is. <laughs> what is it about that? So I came by your desk and you were editing this video and I caught a glimpse of that photo and it was like I could not get it out of my mind. I think part of it is that that cats can give birth really young, like as young as eight months. And oh. so it's, pro it's just the idea that this half grown animal fending for itself has oh. kind of staked out this little box and is completely caring for these little helpless fur balls. And it's both tender and fierce. And you can see that any minute some big clunky farmhand could come in and kind of kick the box out of the way. Oh, it's very, I can't even oh, talk it's, about it's, it. It's, it's so it's Rorschach, moving. though, Amy. Like, I get something totally different oh, from Oh, really? It. What? I'm yeah, interested like, to hear. The, like, the cat, the mama cat is being just, like, used up and drained and like the look on her face whew, and yet like she has no choice but to be there and to provide for those kittens she got herself into that mess it's very true she in in the picture the, this the is i'm are... saying way too much my husband will hear this is terrible but it's true the kittens are like half the size of the cat and oh probably only God. a few months younger than her you know she is kind of like these are my babies, but at the same time, she looks like she's trying to get up. She's like, Help she can't, me. she can't. But that's you know, that's what a good mother yeah, like does. I, I, I look at that picture, and all I think is, oh my god, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think <laughs> in terms of the relation of that picture to Mad Men, yes. when when if you remember that that scene where Don gives the pitch about about the carousel and pictures. He talks about nostalgia being the pain from an old wound. And he's showing pictures of his family, his own family. And he is looking at these pictures and just because of his amazing wordsmithing and the smoky room and the darkness and the sound of the clicker, it, it really 
it really does evoke this feeling of perfection. Okay, so we've clearly established that you are a super fan of the show. Um, let's talk about how you feel about Dawn. Wow. I know as a woman I'm supposed to desire and hate Dawn, but I actually... I mean, we were playing this game before I printed out pictures of all the Mad Men people, and I was bringing it around and being like, which Mad Men character are you? And everybody got really into it. It's like looking. It's like, oh, I want to be Megan. And I was just like, I hope somebody says I'm Dawn. Because I wish Did I was. Did anybody say that no, they no, were Dawn? Nobody no said they were Dawn. I said I wanted to be Dawn. But then I chose to be Stan. Anyway, gender aside, I wish I was Dawn. I really, really, really like Dawn's character. He is constantly, like, reaching out towards other people. He's always nice to waitresses, especially in back alleys. He never loses his temper at, at people in a, in a bad way. I mean, like, he and Peggy maybe have a... But I love him and Peggy. I think my favorite character on Mad Men is Peggy Don. <laughs> when the two of them are together in a scene, it's just perfect. Remember in the very beginning of the show, he was when he was still with Betty, who I also love. I wish I could be Betty, too. Oh, whoa. Let's talk about that. Stop. Time out. You love Betty? I, I have a really hard time with Betty. I love Betty. Tell I love Betty. And then when I saw Betty reading Freud, I was like, that's it. I've been Betty all along. I, you know, she, <laughs> she, I know she's, I know she's really mean and she's, uh, she can be petty Betty at times. Oh, hell yeah. But she is actually like very true to herself in the show. And she doesn't feel shame about what she does. It's very similar to Sally, actually, like mother, like daughter. You know, she does bad stuff and she kind of tries it. She sticks her finger in the light socket and she just, you know, she sprays the whipped cream in her mouth. She has a one night stand with people. She like brings her baby with her to Reno to get get a divorce so she can get married. She doesn't feel shame. Okay, so a lot of people have had a hard time watching this final season. I I am having a hard time in some ways watching this final season mm. um, for a variety of reasons. How, how would you describe the tone of this final season of Mad Men? I've spent a lot of time feeling really anxious. Yeah. And I just, as much as I hate that feeling, like nausea, it's a terrible feeling. I love when art makes me feel something viscerally so I, I really like it it just shows how connected we are to the characters I think everybody's afraid Don's gonna jump out the window and then I think there's just a sense of like when Don's pitch got interrupted when he was trying to save the company and move everything to the LA office that was just a it was just a moment where it was just horrible you just felt like wow the show made me believe that Don was magic, and it's not true anymore. I, I, I really, really, really love the scene in the last episode when, when Don was invited to his first creative meeting for yeah. the for Miller beer, yeah. <laughs> and he walks into the room and it's like, wait a second, is this a meeting? There's like 20 people in there. It's like there's 35 John Drapers in this room, <laughs> exactly. and they've all got the box lunches. And then he's like looking around him, and I think it was it was kind of like the Matrix when, you know, you see suddenly like, I'm just a dead body hooked up to a machine where he's just like, oh my God, my, my fantasy that I was a truly creative person who was creating something was actually just that. It was a fantasy in office buildings all around town 
there doing the same thing. And you, living in 2015, know that it's just going to get worse and everything has been done and there's no way to do anything new. And you know you know it's just going to get worse. And it just seems like the beginning of that kind of like gray corporatization of life. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have to say it does resonate for me today at least because I know sometimes when when you do somehow stumble upon some kind of success in, in your job, the the idea is to look at it, be like, who liked it? Why? What? When did they come onto it? When did they find it? How long did they stay? Why was it successful? All right, so let's try let's to do that again. Turn up all the knobs on yeah. that. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah turn up writing. all the knobs on that, exactly. And it's just like, you know, memes. I mean, bacon is popular. The next day, Burger King has a bacon-flavored shake. It doesn't even take a week, a month, a year. Okay, you've mentioned Peggy, Peggy Dawn, and Betty. Let's talk about Joan. Who's Jill? <laughs> what? I don't remember. No, I think Joan. Oh, Joan. Let's, let's talk about okay. Joan. So Joan, the last episode with Joan had um, had a lot in it. How do you feel about Joan? Well, I I love Joan. I love how even in a nightgown she's got her pointy. And I really thought Joan was about to, quote, have it all, her baby, her new lover that she found out in California who wants to see Egypt and is just this amazing rich executive who like maybe has mob ties or something. I don't understand what that was where he's like, call a hitman. Just have a man killed. <laughs> and and I really thought she was gonna get this new job and she was gonna come in and act actually be come great in this own. big company. But it seems like even though it was she kind of went out in a blaze of glory saying, I'm not negotiating, which was awesome and made that horrible guy uncomfortable. She ends up taking a buyout, which I was very surprised at, 50 cents on the dollar. Roger kind of talked her into it. But I guess, I don't know, maybe she'll, maybe that's not the end of her. There's, what, two more episodes left? And I mean, however many, maybe she'll be back. But I, I was surprised. I really thought she was going to... You know, she really loved her job. She didn't have to work, as Peggy pointed out. You don't have to work if you don't want to in that terrible elevator scene you guys talked about. Mm. Um, but she did work because I think she really liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wonder whether we're not we're not watching. I think, I think at this point we're seeing a lot of the characters and the, the ways that their storylines resolve in contrast with each other. And, and maybe what we'll find is that is that Peggy is going to succeed. I mean, that last scene of Peggy strutting down the hallway Come with on. the cigarette the dangling best. off her lips. Totally amazing. She well, has work to do, Ellen. Amy Pearl, let us both strut down the hallway like we are Peggy entering our, the next phase of our lives. With our octopus porn. Fuck yeah. Will Amy get her perfect ending? Do these characters even have a chance at happiness? We've got only two episodes left to find out. And that's it for this edition of the Mad Men pregame show. Our team includes Dan O'Donnell, Paula Schumann, Caitlin Thompson, Amy Eason, James Ramsey, Jenny Lawton, and Irene Trudell. I'm Ellen Horn, roller skating around a large empty office, trashed on vermouth. If it's in it, near it, or makes you think about it, we're on it. (laughs) 